It yep. is uh, our pleasure to have Marty Appel back with us again. For those of you that might have missed Mr. Appel's past uh, appearances on our show. It's on the podcast. It's, you can go back and listen to it. But he was the head of public relations for the New York Yankees. He was around the team for Thurman Munson's entire career. And to coincide with the 30th anniversary of Thurman Munson's tragic death, he has just written his um, second book about, about the former Thurman, Yankee right. catcher. This one called Munson, The Life and Death of a Yankee Captain, which was released yesterday. So welcome back to the show, Marty. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Always love talking about Thurman. He was a special guy. Now, of course, this is a very different book from the first one. But interestingly enough, yeah. while not unprecedented, yeah. because uh, two others come to my mind, yeah. authors who actually have done an autobiography and then yeah. later on followed up and did biographies, uh, that being O.B. Keeler and Al Stump. Uh, Keeler did it for uh, golf and great Bobby Jones, and of course Stump did the, the Ty Cobb. Cobb. So what led you to follow up on your earlier months in work? Well, I read the Al Stump one. Uh, I read the first one when I was a kid, the, uh, you know, the one he did with Cobb. And the one he did later was kind of to set the record straight because he really wasn't buying what Cobb was telling him, <laughs> and he thought Cobb was a bad guy. So it was really a different book. In this case, it's only different in the sense that I really flesh out the subject a lot more. When we did the autobiography together in the 70s, Thurman just wanted it to stick to the playing field, and he didn't talk much about off-the-field stuff at all. And I, always, after he died especially, I got so many compliments from people who were so enjoyed the book and were so glad that we did the autobiography, even though he was still so young. But I knew in my heart there was a lot more to the story, and it was a much richer story. So all these years, I get the compliments, and I'd always say to myself, yeah, well, if they only knew, there was so much more. Well, this is the 30th anniversary. A couple of years ago, uh, an editor at Doubleday came to me and said, you would be the perfect guy to do a full-blown Thurman Munson biography. There's never been one. It's a good time for it. And I really liked it because, like I said, it's always been in my mind. So uh, this one covers his full childhood, which was a very troubled time for him, uh, and talks, of course, about the accident and the aftermath, which obviously wasn't in the autobiography. So it really is a much fuller picture of the guy. It's interesting because the book actually starts off in the introduction with the actual end of his life, and instantly you have insight into to Thurman Munson's personality and a little bit about his dad. Because um, it seems that they both, you know, found peace in solitude. You know, Thurman's dad being a truck driver and Thurman up in the air. What about flying did Thurman love so much? I think he liked the escape. He, uh, you know, he was a central guy in the whole Bronx Zoo and Bronx's burning years of the Yankees. And for better or worse, was always in the middle of whatever was going on with Billy Martin and George Steinbrenner and Reggie Jackson and the then he'd clear his head, he'd get in the plane, the other guys were driving home to their suburban homes in New Jersey and Westchester, and Thurman would go out to Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, and he'd fly home to Canton, Ohio, and he'd be there, you know, by midnight. So uh, people, the fans didn't really know that this was going on, uh, but there's a clause in the player contracts that says they can't pilot their own planes, but Steinbrenner agreed to remove that from Munson's contract because it was so important for him, he said, to see his family often. So this was all going on for a couple of years before the accident. 
then when the accident came, you know, it was a big shock. It was a lot of people like, he's flying home after the games. <laughs> so uh, it was another side of him that really wasn't known. Did did you you knew that at the time? Or did you not know that at the time? Oh, I knew it at the time, and he offered me to fly with him a, more than once. Uh, but I'm a bad flyer. I don't like getting on a, a yeah. 747, let alone a little small, you know, a private plane. So it was no thanks, and it wasn't because I doubted his piloting skills. It's just not a happy place for me. Right. <laughs> the the first few chapters go into describing Thurman's early life and what a tremendous uh, athlete he was. Aside from being a great great baseball player, he excelled in both basketball and football, and he actually did not have the prototypical body type for any of those sports. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in the book um, it comes from Steve Stone at one time was a bitter rival you know, in Ohio, but then would be his, his teammate at Kent State. He, right. he said of Thurman, you know, Thurman already carried himself like a star. He had no doubt he was going to be a major league star. Um, no, he's amazing self-confidence. He was so gifted he had this phenomenal ability, a heart the size of Long Island, and all of it wrapped in the wrong body. He shouldn't have been squatty. He should have been six foot three with the grace of an antelope, not 5'11", 195 pounds. What do you think made her Therm get the most of that 5'11", 195-pound body in every single thing he did? Well, he overcame that. I mean, the description there really sounds like Carlton Fisk, doesn't it? His <laughs> arch rival. <laughs> um, Thurman was just such a gifted athlete. I don't know, for, even among his teammates, I don't know if others knew anybody with that athleticism and competitiveness all in one. You know, like he was a star in baseball, football, basketball, which a lot of guys are if they're elite athletes in high school. But Thurman could try any sport and master it in one day, and then never lose. And we're talking, in his case, bowling, billiards, golf, handball, anything that came along, he'd master it in one try, and then beat you the next day. Also, the true beauty of this book, I guess, for people my age, and AJ's age, yeah. is that so much has changed in the way baseball is covered. So in this book, you get so much backstory that now is co somewhat commonplace, but you cannot believe the different teammates that Thurman Munson had in different areas that I had no idea. He was a teammate, ironically, of Roberto Clemente in the winter ball. Okay, he had a short tenure in the Cape with some unbelievable teammates, Bobby Valentine being one of them. Um, how did you find a lot of this, or was a lot of this known to you because of your job as the Yankees public relations you know, head, and did you have a particular map once you knew of all these different connections that Thurman had pre-Yankee that you were going to set about to start interviewing these people? Well, it was a little bit of stuff that I knew, a little bit of stuff that I discovered as you took each thing chronologically. You'd kind of look up the roster and see if there was anybody that you'd heard of or people that you were trying to speak to. I was dying to get, well, that's a bad use of words, but I was, let's say I was trying so hard to get a team picture of his winter ball team in San Jose, uh, Puerto Rico, where he was a teammate with Roberto Clemente. It would have been so interesting to have those guys together in a team photo, but I came up empty. I wasn't able to do that. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing about baseball. You watch a, I mean, you know, people watching Yankees Twins tonight or something like that. You really never know 
deep down where these guys played against each other before in college or in the minor leagues or were teammates or, you know, there's a lot that goes on, the real inner game that we have no knowledge of. Additionally, you point to one particular moment in, in Thurman's career that kind of solidified his bond with the fans, and it was game two of a Twinite doubleheader. Could you fill our viewers a little bit, uh, the backstory on that, and, and why in this particular bat, which he actually made an out, you, you point to as the, the groundwork for the relationship with the New York fans? Yeah, um, it was in his rookie season, and... Uh, a couple of things that are really out of date now. They're ball players on Army Reserve duty used to sometimes have to go away one weekend a month to fulfill their military commitment, uh, and then like for two whole weeks in the summer. So Thurman was in the reserves, and he was away for that particular weekend uh, and was going to miss the weekend. This was his rookie season, 1970. And then there was a thing once upon a time in baseball called a doubleheader, <laughs> yeah, we remember those. Yeah, it's not Sunday. everybody listening may be familiar with the term. Unless they know it is a day-night doubleheader right. and you only can get the yeah. one, one game yeah. in the week. I don't know when there was a, the last time there was a single admission <laughs> doubleheader, <laughs> but they were pretty common. Two for the price of one. And so anyway, the Yankees are stumbling through uh, you know, a weekend series and they got a doubleheader Sunday without their regular catcher, Munson. And uh, Thurman was like 90 miles away at Fort Dix in New Jersey, and somehow he got let out early, and he was able to get in his car and head for Yankee Stadium like at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. So without anybody knowing he, was, he had arrived at the ballpark, comes a situation in that second game of the doubleheader when they needed a pinch hitter, and out of the dugout comes Thurman. He's just a rookie now. But as soon as he emerged from the dugout, the place went crazy. It was like, Thurman Munson's here. Oh, my God. And uh, I don't even remember what he did with that at bat, but just the reception he got when he came out unexpectedly from the dugout, to me it was from that day on, he was their guy. He was the fan's choice. Interestingly enough, the, also, the book, because you, you kind of forget what kind of atmosphere was there. You know, you know about the Bronx Zoo, but other than that, there were a lot of children around the Yankees, and it points to Thurman's yeah. relationship with kids and the interaction he had with the Alomars okay. as children and Barry Bonds as children. Okay. Do you remember a lot of those interactions? I remember Griffey and Bonds and Alomar and those kids uh, being on the scene, but, you know, you don't look at them and say there's a future major leaguer. It was just a kid. So... Barry Bonds, uh, Bobby Bonds had two sons who were around all the time. I can't tell you I remember which one was Barry. Yeah. Um, Thurman was great with kids, though. You see, this is the fundamental story behind this book, is what an awful childhood he had. And he was determined not to repeat that, that as an adult he was going to have a really good family life. He was, And he had three children, and he was a great dad. And from that came his ability to relate great to uh, to other players' kids. And there's some anecdotes in the book about, uh, I think, Jack Aker's kids really loving and calling him by a funny nickname or something. So he did have that gift. You also uh, talk a little bit about his dad in an article that appeared, uh, I believe, like a month after uh, his death. Yeah. And you 
you reprint the article, but then so perfectly close that as saying it was the one time this reporter kind of had wished he, you know, just shut his notebook and walked away. Could you, you kind of tell our viewers a little bit about Thurm's dad? What a character. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know if you could make this up. Um, Thurman's father was a long-distance truck driver and not a very well-mannered, humorous guy or anything. And he'd be gone all week and come back Friday night and park his truck somewhere, and his wife would pick him up. And on the ride back home, she'd tell him, well, this one didn't clean his room, and this one didn't do his chores, and this one got a D in history. And Daryl Munson would come in the house and just start swinging at the kids. This was like, a, you know, Friday night, welcome home, Dad. And this was the basis of the, their childhood. Well, with no surprise, Thurman's three... Hello? ...high school, leaving him alone in this situation without any support from his siblings, no family to cheer him on at his athletic events, a very sad and lonely thing for Thurman. Uh, and the father, later on, Thurman's mother has a stroke, and Thurman's father says, well, if this is not for me, I'm taking off. And he disappears for years. He just left her. Uh, it turns out he moved to Arizona and was really in touch with no one. So when Thurman died, no one knew whether he would come to the funeral or whether he was even living. Uh, well, he shows up at the funeral and he holds an impromptu press conference to talk about how he was a better player than Thurman was. Thurman just got luckier breaks. And then he goes on to the cemetery for the burial and he walks up to the grave and says, you always thought you were too big for this world. Well, look who's still standing. Yeah. At which point they sort of escorted him out of there. And then a few weeks later, he does this interview in the Tucson newspaper, just ripping Thurman as, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, it's like unimaginable that you could do this to having just lost a son. So this was where Thurman came from and what he had to deal with. Interestingly enough, you know, you kind of read through this book, and there's also interspersed through it, there's lots of text of Thurman with um, Messer, you know, on the air, just interviews, there's uh, John Dockery, and it got me to thinking, do you think that Thurman was, for him, for his, his type of demeanor, was he, did he play in the right era, because if he was around today, how do you think Thurman would handle the 24-7 mentality of yes and ESPN and talk radio? Oh, he'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what, what I felt. Yeah, he didn't like it the way it was back then when there was only five TV stations and two radio stations. Uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have adjusted well to this at all. He was a grouch when it came to the media. And I can still picture him walking through the clubhouse, toweling himself off out of the shower, and walking right through a line of media who all were there to interview him, and Thurman would just say, I'm just happy to be here, and walk right through him. And in a sense, you can almost picture that as Thurman as a child, walking through that crazy household and saying, I'm just happy to be here. So what, what do you think Thurman would have done had he had a post-baseball career? Well, that's interesting. It could have gone in a lot of different directions. With all, in those years when the Yankees had so many different managers, you'd think his turn would have come up where they would have offered him the job. Would, have he, had, would he have had the patience for dealing with 
George Steinbrenner as a, as a meddling owner? Eh, probably not. But there's also a possibility that he would have just turned his back on baseball because of all the travel, because of his desire to stay home with his family, and also he had a lot of business interests and real estate interests in Canton. He might have kept them there. Or he might have managed the Cleveland Indians because it was a more convenient situation for him. He did always talk about wanting to play for the Indians for just that reason. And how many guys can you name that wanted to play for the Indians? You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hard to say, really hard to say. There are lots of other interesting facts that you come across in the book, one of which... I was shocked at the actual last game in which Thurman Munson caught. Uh, you kind of describe how his knees and, and how the, the his career of catching took its toll on him. And the day he stripped off his catching gear, not knowing, obviously, this would be his last game catching. This, the games after that, he played a little bit of first base. But in that particular game, he didn't record a putout. Was, I was shocked at that. Yeah, it was just an oddity that could happen, but... Uh... It was an oddity worth noting, certainly. And Absolutely. You just stumble on these things when you do the research. And then the other thing that I um, didn't know either, which I, I was shocked at, was the a famous term that actually is on uh, number 44's plaque in Cooperstown, and you know he marketed himself mm -hmm. as Mr. October. Actually, the origins are from Thurman Munson. Could you uh, fill our audience in a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it was a little sarcasm behind it, of course. You know, uh, he and Reggie were contentious at times, and uh, certainly in Reggie's first year with the Yankees when he did that really dumb magazine article about uh, I'm the straw, straw that stirs the drink. So, uh, yeah, Thurman used it in a kind of uh, derisive term, uh, suggesting that, you know, he rose to the occasion when the TV cameras were, were there. Uh, it's funny how those things happen in baseball. I mean, like, in, with the Mets in 73, it was, you, uh, you gotta believe in Tug McGraw. You remember that? Right. Yes. Sure. Yeah, well, that was done as a ridiculing thing of, uh, M. Donald Grant, the, uh, general manager of the Mets, had come into the clubhouse to give a, uh, pep talk, and he was the last guy that could deliver a pep talk that had any credibility with these athletes. And the last thing he said was, uh, like, you've got to believe. And then he walks out of the clubhouse, and Tug McGraw goes all around the clubhouse, like, imitating him and mimicking him. Right, so <laughs> it winds up being their rallying cry. So, yeah, Thurman basically, when right. uh, Reggie was hitting, like, 111, said, yeah. you know, George, you know, George should speak to Mr. October. And then it becomes, you know, later on, it yeah. becomes... Reggie becomes Mr. October because of the three yeah. home runs, obviously. And when Reggie hit those three home runs in the last game in '77 World Series, yes. still photo shows you nobody could, nobody in the Yankee dugout had a bigger smile than Thurman right. did. And in the end, they well, you know, they had a reproach month. They uh, Reggie flew with Thurman. Uh, Reggie flew to Canton to attend a testimonial dinner in Thurman's honor. So they had worked things out. Interesting enough, also in the book, which I, you know, I'm surprised that has not found its way to eBay. I don't even know how you found out about that, but I, I guess there was a, a trip where uh, Reggie was on the the plane, I think, with Craig Nettles. Actually, I think it comes from maybe the Bronx Zoo. That, that yeah. passage and the oxygen masks come down, and, and Reggie's isn't working, but the, the oxygen wasn't working because it didn't depressurize the cabin, so there was no need for it. But later on, Reggie actually wrote Thurman a check. For a hundred dollars, that which went on cash. Could you imagine if you had that check somewhere? Because it said, "Yo, airfare." Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, that's uh, that did get auctioned actually when uh, 
Diane Munson put all that stuff up uh, for auction a couple of years ago. That was one of the auction oh, items. Oh, so someone actually has that. That that would be a pretty neat thing. That is yeah. a neat, neat collectible, I'm sure. Uh, interesting that he never cashed it, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another interesting thing is the the actual the the Munson slash Mercer game. Uh, you go into great detail about that game, certain other players, and the way how strongly they felt. Ron Guidry not wanting to come out of that game. Uh, even the Orioles actually want to wear armbands, but they couldn't get that together quick enough. Yeah. What do you remember aside from Mercer in that game? Uh, how lifeless that game was. Uh, the Yankees had all woken up at 5 a.m., and they had nothing in the tank. I mean, they were just going through the motions, and, you know, nobody expected them to put on any kind of a show that night at all. It was just a miracle that they got back from the funeral in time to play at all. But then Mercer hit a home run, his first since he'd returned to the Yankees, and it kind of recharged them. It was like, hey, we got a sense of purpose here. We're, we're pros. Let's win this thing. And uh, that really got things going, and the fans got a little more into it. Now you come to uh, the bottom of the ninth, and they're still losing. And Mercer's due up, and Tippy Martinez is now pitching. Now, Tippy's a tough left-hander, former Yankee, and Mercer really has no business being at bat at that time. Uh, Pinello was available, <laughs> among other right-handers, and Tippy could pretty much at will get a left-hander out. So quickly, he's 0-2 on Mercer on two breaking balls. Now, and this was revealed here for the first time in the book because I spoke to Tippy about it, suddenly Tippy on the mound has a flashback to his days with the Yankees when he's pitching against Detroit and Ron LaFleur has got a 30-game hitting streak on the line and it's the ninth inning and he's hitless. And Thurman comes out to the mound and says to Tippy, Let's give him a fair chance at keeping the hitting streak going. Give him a fastball down the middle. Well, in, you know, Tippy remembers this in a millisecond, and suddenly he feels like he owes this to Bobby Mercer somehow, the same thing. He's still got to get it over, and Mercer's still got to hit it, but he doesn't have the heart to throw another breaking pitch. He delivers a fastball down the middle, and Mercer lines it down the left field line, the tying run, the winning run score, it's the most emotional victory imaginable. Mercer, who had delivered the eulogy for his buddy that afternoon, does this heroic thing. And as Tippy Martinez walks off the mound, he takes a glance at the heavens and he says to himself, that was for you, Thurman. ABC was televising the game that night. They actually captured Tippy looking up at the heavens, but they really didn't know what they had that. Obviously, they didn't know what was going on. Pretty emotional story, and told in this book for the first time. Wow! And interestingly enough, because you know, I, I'm pretty sure Yes Network replays that on the anniversary every year. So it, yeah. you know, now I Go definitely I, I penciled in to make sure to TiVo it if yeah. I'm not around because after reading that, there's yeah. so many different things that I want to look for in that game. Uh, finally, I know it must have been very hard as Munson was a friend of yours and you know how much he disliked Jim Bouton, which is also detailed in the book because of you know ball four and the way he felt it violated the, the clubhouse rules. Um, so to do a book like this where you did have unprecedented access, you know, because you're the, the head of public relations for the Yankees, um, so you're obviously walking a very fine line here. And you do it 
tremendous because there's nothing in this book that I think if Thurman was alive today and he read this book, he'd be very proud of this book. Um, but how difficult was that task for you? Um, the task of revisiting the whole subject matter, you mean? Yeah, the fact that, you know, it's so many years later. But you also things have changed. Going beyond the surface. Right, and, and things have changed deeper. the way journalists cover the sport, yeah. the way people write. You know, obviously, there could be things in this book that you're privy to that if you put in, you know, a couple of blurbs get out there, it probably sells more books. But, well, uh, I, didn't, I didn't violate the sanctity of the clubhouse, but I right. did reveal a lot of things that have never before been told, but nothing that crossed the line. And there are a lot of players. Bobby Mercer was, read this whole book before he died. He was very satisfied with the whole book. Uh, we would compare stories that both of them appeared in because his book came out last year, and, you know, they had a, we wanted the stories to be sure to match. Uh, so I don't think I violated anything. I revealed a lot because I had the good fortune to be present for it all. Um, but it's a kind of a baseball book that I think everybody could feel comfortable is not going to be peaking where it shouldn't be. Absolutely. That, okay. But, but it, was that difficult? Because obviously, I guess monetarily, if you put it, you, know, you, you see how well a Jose yeah. Canseco does or a book about A-Rod, you know, the more, well, you know, in today's society, the more scandal, right. the, the more sales. Yeah, um, well, that's just not my style. I was, there was not a chance that I would go there. Yeah. And, uh, but I did want to give the reader a really honest look at Thurman, because he wasn't, you know, a 100% positive character. <laughs> None of us are. So, you know, there's some tough things in there about him, too. And a few times, Jane Levy, the my friend in Washington who wrote the Sandy Koufax book a few years ago, she's doing a Mickey Mantle book now, so we would be we would exchange chapters and critique each other. And at one point, I, it's, I held something back, and she said to me, well, are you a writer and a journalist, or are you still his publicist? <laughs> and it was a good reminder that, I was no longer doing this as his publicist. It's a great it's read. It's a tremendous addition to any baseball sports library. One more uh, time. It, Munson, it's out, it came out yesterday, correct? It came out yesterday. It's already yeah. number two baseball book on the okay. Amazon list. Uh, past Joe Torre yesterday. Excellent. We well, wish okay. you tremendous luck with it. Uh, what's the next project? Don't have one. Give me an idea. We'll start tonight. <laughs> All right, Marty. It's always a pleasure to have you on. We look forward. You know, we don't have to have a book to have you on. You've been but kind enough when other things pop yeah. up to, to talk to us. But I, I got it, didn't put it down, and, and really enjoyed it. So thanks so much. I really appreciate this. Thanks so much. Uh, have a great Bye. night, Marty. Okay. Well, it's 3-2 Yankees, so I'll have a great night. And the, and, and Ali yeah, Perez, Perez might get a win today. <laughs> might. That's the operative right, word. Right, right. The Mets bullpen still is to hold. Yeah. And it's early. All right, buddy. Have a great night. Good night, now. Bye. Thanks a lot.